are you guys kind of picking up what's being put down throughout this book in regards to just the practicality of life, the push and pull, the, the, the sovereignty of God, and really what the author is just trying to convey, that at the end of the day, like if there is no fear of God, if there is none of that, there's really no purpose in even life or existence. He's back. He's like, I'm done. And like I said, I always encourage you guys, if you have questions, which we've been blessed, people have come to me or they've sent text messages or emails regarding stuff that, that has been preached about or books, if, if there's ever any want for you know, continued dialogue or discussion regarding what's being preached about, I would hope that you guys know that I'm a pastor that encourages that. So, um, And we're even going to kind of unpack that a little bit today as well. As um, I, I don't want to go into it too much right now, but... Uh, you guys are called actually to do that. If there's something that is spoken about, something that is said that you have a question about, something that you're curious about, a conflict with something, I encourage you to come and see me, to reach out to me, to not hold it in. And I'm not expressing this because something recently took place where someone's not doing that. I just always want to encourage that. I want that, um, that culture to, to be emphasized here at, at Agape Center. So. But we are going to go into chapter 6 here, and he, there's a little bit of elaboration and I guess some recounting to what was already discussed, obviously, previously in the book, and especially in chapter 5. But um, there's going to be some things in this chapter, though, that we're going to unpack, and some things that, once again, especially for us in here that have um, gone through some pretty tough times, you know, when it, when it comes to death and experiencing some pretty rough things, this is, once again, where God is really just putting our hearts and our minds kind of at center stage to really ask ourselves some tough questions. Um, even in regards to when it comes to the sovereignty of God. You know, one of the main questions I get as a pastor, as a Christian, which many of you have probably heard before yourself, of once again, if, if God is real or if even God is good, why do bad things happen? Right? Why do these horrible things seem to take place? And you know, we can give these theological answers, right? Like where we go to scripture and we can quote verses and all that. But there's also a place and a time for just a loving response. And what I try to do is when people ask those tough questions, when they sit there and they go, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you guys hear the question that's really being asked behind the question? Chances are this person has probably experienced something that has broken their heart, right? And they just want answers because they feel like if they get the answer, it's going to make everything better. And in actuality, let's be honest, is it really going to make anything better? Because the loss is still there, right? So this is the stuff, once again, that we're going to even see in this chapter as well. Um, we're going to unpack this, and it is. It's really going to speak about the sovereignty of God. And, you know, the other thing that people throw out there, once again, we live in a fallen world, right? Good theological answer. It's got a good base to it. It's true. It's sound. People have free will to choose, right? Another theologically sound answer. But there's always these conflicts still that come. People get angry sometimes when we try to give too much of an answer, to a difficult situation. And it's maybe even in our pride, right, that we want to be the ones to give the magical response to make all the pain go away. When in actuality, as my wife and I have expressed, and even that we've learned in our own Christian walk is, is it is best many times to just simply mourn with those who mourn. Keep your mouth shut. Just be with them. While they cry, you cry with them. We see this in the book of Job, right? His friends, we can emulate any one of them where we're just simply trying to give the right answer. 
when in actuality there's a sovereignty component of God that needs to be looked at, looked at and expressed, which in actuality at the end of the day brings us our biggest sense of peace in the midst of trials, in the midst of heartache, right? Doesn't mean that we can't hurt, it doesn't mean that we can't be sad, that we can't be filled with sorrow, but at the end of the day, our hope still remains. At the end of the day, we know who this God of creation is. And at the end of the day, that just fills us and wells us up with this hope and this faith that we're called to have as Christians, right? So the author here, I'm going to be preaching out of the NIV. Um, once again, anything that I feel like kind of detours away. This chapter was, was pretty good in regards to the, the wording. There's nothing really, if you have different translations, that I, I feel like you guys will be able to track and follow along. But Starting off here at chapter 6, verse 1, the author says, I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. So remember, this emphasis of under the sun is just life in accordance to the human perspective, right? It is the, as we've said, the teasing out of the narrative of what's taken place in the garden. It is the struggle, the strife, this push-pull of life, right? There's crying, there's laughter, there's birth, there's death. There's just these two strands of life that seem to just go hand in hand with one another. So when he's making reference to under the sun, just think in accordance to the human perspective. And this, this um, evil, it weighs heavily on mankind. This is a very, very profound verse, and I want you guys to think about this. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is a meaningless and grievous evil. Think about that. We kind of unpacked it in the previous chapter, the, the very last part here of chapter 5, right? It says in verse 19, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. What the author's sitting here saying, even in reference to what we just said in chapter 6, is, is that the greatest tragedies in our life, guys, isn't the lack of stuff that we have. The greatest tragedy in life is the inability to enjoy the things that we have. Amen? Let's think about that, right? I mean... We, we can so often go through life. There's an old quote by a, an old theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He said that there's two ways to kind of build up this sense of satisfaction when it comes to material things in the world. One way is to continue to just accumulate more stuff. The second way is just to be content with the stuff that you have. And many of us in here know what it's like to try to just to keep getting more stuff. If it be because it's in our hearts to do it, or if it's maybe what we witness and watch culture trying to tell us that we need to make ourselves happy. But think about the things that he's listing here. And this isn't even just possessions. This isn't even just stuff that I think we can think of as like material things. Listen to what he says. Wealth, possessions, and honor. So there's even kind of this like relational thing even going on, a status or something like that. Um, wealth could mean numerous things. It doesn't just necessarily mean money. I mean, this could even be relationships that we carry, right? I mean, after last week speaking the message that was spoken regarding the last part of chapter 5, I use that as a reference point, too, about are we even, um, are, do we even lack content when it comes to the people that we're with or the people that we're around, right? Like, we, in a sense, kind of deserve more and deserve better. And once again, I'm not sitting there saying that there's not other things that go into play with this, but sometimes we can get a little haughty in our spirit when it comes to things, right? 
I just did a wedding yesterday for you guys that know Brenda Kidney that, that comes here and their, their kids come every so often. Her oldest son, Jake, got married yesterday. Um, it was great to, to be able to be a part of that, to be a part of their family and that celebration. Jelaine has known Brenda for a very long time. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing them for about the last 13 years, seeing their kids grow up, right? They were very little and now it's weird. I'm standing up there with Jake. We're in front of, you know, over a hundred people. He's sweating because it's 95 degrees outside or he's just nervous because he's getting married, but he's also wearing a tux. We're right in the sunlight and he's shaking, he's sweating and he starts crying and I tap him on the back and I go, dude, like, I can't believe it's like you're getting married today. And he just looks at me with like this nervous wreck in his eyes, but he's happy. But you know, one of the blessings that I get to have though, when I am um, speaking to couples, young couples even in particular that have never been married before, is I talk to them about, you know, it's not in essence just finding the right person, it's being the right person as well. And then I kind of funnel that as well to, to, in regards to even our relationship with Jesus Christ and a Christian marriage. And yesterday we spoke about true peace in the marriage as well. But I want people to understand and stop that, like, when it comes to our growth as people, especially with other people, we can't stop and just sit there and think, like, it's all about us, in essence, right? Like, there's a sacrificial component to it as well. But I know with my marriage with my wife, I mean, I stop and I think about it like, this is, this is my lot. This is my wealth that God has given me. And more, most importantly, he's given me the ability and the gift to enjoy that in which I have right now. And that truly is its biggest piece, right? I mean, you could sit there and try to let your mind wander and wish you had a bigger home or more cars or whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, are you content with the stuff that you have, right? And this is, once again, the, the author here is really trying to emphasize that. So they lack nothing that their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them strangers enjoy them instead this is a meaningless and grievous evil so once again there is a gift and a sovereignty component here when it comes to god god is the one that gives us that gift and that ability a man may have a hundred children and live many years yet no matter how long he lives he cannot enjoy his his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial now for many of us in here we might think a hundred children is something to be joyful about well when you speak in context of the Lord or the biblical days, guess what? It was. Because you can get a lot done with 100 kids, right? If you had farmland, if you had structures that had to be built, right? 100 kids can get a lot of work knocked out. So this was seen as a sense of like, if I see, you know, the Vandenboshes and they're walking around, they're rocking 100 kids. Sorry, Jess. Well, and you, wives, <laughs> probably, but... What I'm saying, though, is, is that you could see that. I would look at Scott, and I would just sit there. My impression of Scott would be that this is a man with a lot of wealth. This is a man with maybe some honor. And this is a man maybe that can get a lot of stuff accomplished. No pun intended. <laughs> don't, don't, let your, don't let your minds wander on that statement. But this is something that, once again, we have to stop. Take a sip of water after that comment, Scott. But I want you guys to see this in the perspective of what the author is trying to say, right? Like, this is something that takes place. We have it in our culture today. We see these individuals that seem to have a lot of stuff, and by our perspective, under the sun, they got it made, right? But wait a minute. Do they really? Because as, as he goes on to say, once again, verse 3, a man may have a hundred children, live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, it does not receive a proper burial. I say, listen to this, that a stillborn child is better off than he. What a statement. 
What a statement. Like a child that is born deceased is better off than that man that's lived a lot of years with a hundred children but has the inability to enjoy all the things that he has. Oh, it's profound to me. It's practical. Like, why is that? Well, in, in essence here, the author's saying it's better to not know struggle than to struggle your whole life and not know peace in the midst of it. It's better to not have an ability to enjoy things that you've never gained than to have all these things that you've gained and never have the ability to enjoy them. Right? And we see this. Guys, any of you in here that have lost loved ones? Older, young, whatever. I mean, I stand up here once again. This book, I told my wife, I said, this is probably, if you were to say, Josh, what is your favorite book? I don't know if it's my favorite to preach from, but man, the one that has really edified and hit my heart the most would probably be Ecclesiastes. Because here's the fact of the matter. One thing that we can't debate, one thing that we can't argue is every one of us in here has been born, right? We sit here today, we, we've all been born. But guess what? Just as realistic as that is and as practical as that is, guess what else? Everyone in this room is going to die. So that in-between state, where are we at? Where are we at with our contentment? Where are we at with our peace? Where are we at with our mindset when it comes to the things that culture is trying to tell you and I that we need to accomplish, have, and achieve? Are we good with what we have? Or is there more that we feel like we need to try to fulfill something in us? And what the author is sitting here saying is, it would have been better for you to be born dead and not have to worry about any of that than to go through what you're going through, have all this stuff, lay, die in a bed, and then die and not even have a proper burial. What does that mean? Well, back then, if an individual was to have a bunch of children and have a name for themselves and all that, there would be a bunch of people that would be in attendance at the burial. A lot of people would know this individual, right? But there would have to have been, to me, an essence of an effect maybe of the people around him as well, or around her as well. But when we look at this and we see this, with all these things being said, to be born deceased would be better than to even have to deal with all this toiling and all this straining. And... Verse 4, it goes on just to talk about, once again, the stillborn child. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. That is practical speech. That is practical talk. My son's out there screaming. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. That's true. The stillborn baby has more rest than the man that's striving and toiling through existence. Trying to get stuff, trying to accomplish a name for himself, trying to have all these things, all these children. What a toil, right? And once again, we spoke about this in previous chapters. Many of us go to bed at night with angst in our spirit with this struggle this conflict about how we're going to make ends meet about what we need to get to try to accomplish this sense of not even just happiness but maybe this sense of peace only to come to find out that we can never achieve it or accomplish it with the things or the statuses that we have in life it's not peace 
It's just this constant toil and this, this constant strife. As, as Solomon says, the author says, it's chasing after the wind. Once again, it says, do, it, do not all go to the same place. We all end up in the same place one day. Verse 7, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. So I want us to think about that as well. Kind of speaks about this, this is deep theology here in regards to even our want to sustain ourselves. This want to try to keep ourselves alive at the, at the, the foundational essence of who we are as people, right? This sense of, of eating, this sense of nourishing our body. Our appetites are never satisfied. So what does that mean? I get up in the morning and I have breakfast. I have lunch and I have dinner on Monday. Guess what I do when I wake up on Tuesday? I have breakfast, I have lunch, and I have dinner. And what do I do again on Wednesday, church? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that's the practicality of it, right? But guess what? In the spiritual sense, it's the same thing. We get up one day, we chase after something, we maybe accomplish and attain that something, and guess what? The next day we get up and we do the same thing again. There's just something in us that's just never satisfied, right? It really isn't. And this is, once again, this is a byproduct of sin. This is a byproduct of the fall. We're toiling, we're striving after something. But even in the midst of that, God in his goodness is still there to let us know, like, wait a minute, there is a way to accomplish peace. There's a way to accomplish contentment, and that's to fear and to know me in the midst of it. And this is what Solomon is trying to emphasize, what Solomon, the author here, is trying to talk about. What advantage have the wise over fools? Might know a lot of stuff and all of that, right? Might not know much. What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? And once again, this is this emphasis too, or this assumption that maybe because a person is poor, there's a sense of contentment maybe that they have with the stuff that they have. Maybe they don't have a lot, but they're happy. And I've witnessed this and I've seen this as well with people. God has like literally put me right there point blank when it comes to conviction. I may look at someone and think, man, they don't have a lot in comparison to me. Man, they just seem a lot more happy, right? They seem more content, more at peace with stuff in their life. And it isn't necessarily, once again, the stuff. I don't want you guys in here if you're thinking, man, I got a lot of stuff. Is Pastor Josh trying to sit there and say I'm a miserable wreck? No. The thing where I'm trying to sit here and challenge you at is if you have a lot or if you have a little, are you content with the things that you have? And this is the struggle that culture brings in, the struggle that the world emphasizes. The world's wanting to yell in one ear, guess what, Mandy, Rick, you need more, right? Joey, keep grinding, keep going after it. That's what it's about, right? You got to hustle your way. You got to just make it happen. And then you get all the stuff. What was that all about? Because I just want more stuff, right? I don't feel happy. I just feel unhappy with a lot more things to worry about. Am I wrong in this? Is the author wrong in this? We talked about it last week. I got a lot of giggles when it comes to work and stuff like that. If we take the same kind of messed up heart to different scenarios and situations, I don't, I don't care if it's a job. I don't care if it's a relationship. Guess what? The results are probably going to be the same. I can say as a pastor, but also as a person guilty of this, I've heard the line before, well, I think I just need to move away and start over. Because this place, it's not good for me. This environment isn't good for me. 
I just need to get out of cold water. If I move to Miami, if I move to wherever, I know that I'll be good, da-da-da, right? We've all said it. I said it when I was a kid. If you take the same old wretched heart to another location, guess what you're doing? You're taking the same old wretched heart to another location. And it always becomes about other people and the environment. We lack to just stop and go, maybe it's me. Do this in relationships a lot too, right? We had a, a neighbor that you know has since passed, and I remember him and I having a conversation before he passed away. It was a very good conversation. But I'll never forget what he said. He's like, I've been married seven times. Seven times. He wouldn't mind me saying this because I've told this story before. I don't know if I told it in church, but I'm, he's like, you can tell people this because I realize this. Seven times he was married. Mike was married seven times, correct? You're probably like, how in the world did I, what did I miss while I was gone? He made the, he made the, the statement, married seven times, and I'll never forget the following thing he said. All the women were crazy. Let that sit in. I paused for effect. All the women were crazy. But I'll never forget, you know, and being married to the woman that I'm married to, when she heard that statement, her eyes just, her big, beautiful brown eyes just got big. I know, I actually said, yeah. There. And, I, and I'll never forget, Mike at one point did say, there's a little glimpse of hope, right? Maybe some of it was me. <laughs> All I ask you guys, even in the midst of your walk with the Lord, and this is really the stress that I even put as a pastor when I sit down and talk with people. I don't want you to own 50-50. I don't even want you to own 40% of the issue. Give me just a little bit of the issue. Could it be a little bit of you? We'll start from there. Could, Scott, could it be 5%? Maybe 1%. Because if you give me one, there's a glimpse of hope that we can navigate from the 1%. But man, when you sit down with people and it's always about others or it's about environment, that's a hard place to navigate from. But when you make the bold claim that you've been married seven times, you all laughed and giggled. Why? Because the assumption in your guys' mind was that maybe it was the guy that's been married seven times. And it's even more hilarious when the person says they were all crazy. Well... One would argue and debate that maybe you're the crazy one for being married seven times, right? So I slightly digress from the purpose and point of the sermon. But once again, this is the stuff of contentment, of peace. Verse 9, another practical statement. Better what the, eyes, the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless. What does this mean? Well, it goes back to the sense of contentment. You know what the best thing in life to look at is right now? What's in front of you. Right? Not necessarily what you want to accomplish. Not necessarily. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having goals. But what is the most objective and truthful thing in your life right now today as we sit here? You are here today. Jelani, what do I say to our kids and to people? Where is the best place to live? Just be here to be present. Can you be present? And what happens when we allow ourselves to venture out of being present? Anxious, right? Like, or when you're stuck in yesterday. I don't care if you're in yesterday or if you're in tomorrow. If you're not in today, 
you're going to lack some peace. If you stop and you're thinking like, man, where I was at yesterday, I know that I need to be here tomorrow. Wait a minute, well, where are you at today? Because as the author sits here and says, you know, I've been through some stuff. I've, I've strived after wisdom. I've strived after pleasure and education and all that stuff. I've, I've had all this stuff just at, 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 at my want, at my becking call. You know what I've learned in the midst of that? Oh, and I'm an older man now. You know what I've learned in the midst of that? The best place for me to be is what my eyes see right now in front of me. I can't allow the appetite or the desire of things and stuff, wealth, possessions, and status to rob me of where I'm at today. And we see that. Jesus even speaks about it, right? Don't be anxious about anything, right? Like, don't step out of today. The most truthful place that you can live in is where you're at right now. We rob ourselves of that peace because we remove ourselves from that truth. We stop and think that today is being influenced by what Monday's gonna bring. It doesn't have to. It really doesn't. I'm, I'm guilty of it, right? We all are. We can stop and go like, Man, I know when I go to work tomorrow, I got this to deal with, or I got family coming into town in a week, and I know I got that to deal with. What does it do to today? Robs it. The greatest thing you can have is what's in front of you. My wife and I, I would say, is a marriage. Like, that's even the greatest thing that we have to strive for, and even, I would say, struggle with at times. It's easy for us to just kind of get lost in the chaos of life and what it brings especially with kids, especially with work, especially with ministry. I went to Odessa one day and I was kind of corny and cheesy, but we watched the, was the movie Avatar where they sit there and they say, I see you. I looked at Odessa one day and I just like, it was crazy in the house and all that. And I just looked in the room and she's like laying in the bed watching TV. The house is crazy and chaotic. I just remember getting up and looking at her in this corny, cheesy dad way and looked at her and go, Sweetie, I see you. And she's trying to hold the smile in. And like, Dad's an idiot. But I try to do that with my wife as well. Like, just look at her and go, you're pretty. And then that opens the doors for her to start critiquing herself. But I just want her to know that I think she's pretty. <laughs> I'm like, just let me say it. You don't have to say anything. Like, but how often do we do that with the people in our lives? Right? Like, just look at your spouse one day. It's a great, I'm not giving you marital advice or anything like that, or even people with your family or children. We just go up to them one day and just let them know you see them. What does that mean? You are right in front of me right now today, which means that you are in actuality the most important thing of my focus in my life right now. Right? Like I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about yesterday. I'm thinking about what I got today. And I told my wife, I sit there at home a lot. And it's cheesy, it's corny. And I say it, and it's probably depressing, but I have to say it at times with her. I go, there's going to be a day where all this is just done and changes. You hear the kids, the chaos, the craziness for you parents in here that know what I'm talking about. It's a day where it just goes silent. And for this, there's this weird thing that takes place, right, when your kids go and leave, that they drive you up the wall when they're there. But it's almost like in that truth, it's the very thing that draws this connection and this bond to them. And maybe spouses do that with one another too, right? 
gonna drive you nuts, and, but you'll miss me when I'm gone. So I stop there and I go, like even the kids now, the dynamic of the home, like it changes. And you sit there and I go, I just take it in. I take it in. I take in the yelling. I don't point at my wife saying she's the one that yells, but I take it in. I take in, you know, a, a, a daughter that's coming up and daughters that are growing up and growing out, like a son that's gone, a son that's talking about getting married, like a daughter. All these things, a child that's autistic that, you know, I told my wife, I said, he wasn't born to be just our kid. We were born to be his parent. Like, if you want to talk about the sovereignty of God, like, let's take this back even more. And the dude is hard. Dax is a hard kid. I'm not going to lie to you. Kids are hard. Dax will make you just stop and like a bink, bink. But here's the deal. I can't imagine life without him. You know what I mean? I can't imagine him any other way. And I, I just, I stop and I go, this is what God has put in front of me. This is the lot that he's given me. These are the possessions, the wealth that he's given me. Am I satisfied? Praise the Lord that he's given me the ability and the gift to go, this is fine. This is well with my soul. You've given this to me, and heaven forbid if any of it was to be removed, I would have to sit there and mourn and lament because they were gone. But I know at the end of the day, you're the one that gave them to me. You have all the right in the world to remove them. Thank you for the time that I've had with them. Right? Like That's peace. I can go on for days about that. This, like, like I said, guys, I read this stuff and I'm at home and I'm just, Jelaine, you're being spared a lot because I want to wake you up sometimes at like four in the morning and go, babe, <coughs> this is what I just got. I cough in the morning. She says I cough all the time. So I have to be quiet like a ninja in the morning. So once again, verse nine, better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Focus on what's in front of you today. Don't focus on this appetite to go into tomorrow or yesterday. It's meaningless, he says. It's a chasing after the wind. You're not going to grab anything. It's a frustrating thing that takes place. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. Some translations say with that who is mightier. This text, this verse, is simply speaking about the sovereignty of God, period. I'm going to try to remember this, this German proverb. What was will be. What, what is will be. And what will be shall always remain. And what he's saying in that is, is the essence that, guys, we can look at the different things that are going on in our world today. And I have come to this, like as a person that once again, I would sit there and I would try to figure out every which thing in the world. I would try to sit there and figure out every which strategy to try to uh, alleviate some kind of conflict in society and all that stuff. The author is sitting here saying something very, very profound. The world is just simply the way that it is. And it's that way because God has established it to be in such a way. If it be that he has imposed his will and imposed something to be in existence or he's removed his hand and allowed something to take place in the sovereignty of who he is, it is the way that it is. I used to stop and sit and think about all the different things of generations past and think, man, when I was a kid and I would hear about this stuff, 
back in the day, I grew up in the city, I would hear about racial conflict and all that stuff. And I'm like, man, that stuff was crazy back then on how that stuff was. And then as I got older, I would listen to the stuff that we see and have happening even now. And I go, there's really nothing new to what's going on. Like it really is nothing different in anything. Or as I said, you guys imagine having Twitter back in World War II or, or whatever. Like I, I hear people make this statement. I said it a couple weeks ago, if it wasn't last week, when people would have children during that time, they'd go, can you imagine bringing a child into this world? And I would see all these parents kind of just kind of breathe out because guess what we hear today with moms? I can't imagine bringing a child into this world. There's nothing new in the grand scheme of what's going on. There really isn't. It might hold different identities. There might be different people in the parts, right? But at the end of the day, it is the push-pulling of existence just working its way out. It is the narrative of what's taken place when it comes to the fall of man, right? Like, I don't care if you live in a prosperous part of the world or a poor part of the world. Struggle is struggle. And joy is joy. And everyone experiences their fair share of it in life. Right? Everyone does. And this is something that, to me, it can't be argued with. It's something for me as an individual. I came to this understanding of existence. Like, at the end of the day, the emphasis here of the struggles that we see is really just a byproduct of, of sin. And true peace and joy and contentment that we think we can go and accomplish is really nothing. And it only comes from really fearing and knowing God, period. Like, I can't argue with that. It's not my truth. It's not a truth that's out there. It's the truth. The truth. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? And once again, speaking about the sense of we can try to explain it. We can gather up all the education. We can try to talk our way through different things and all that. Really, the more things we say the less value it really holds. My wife can probably say amen to that when it comes to me. Babe, you gotta keep it short. Say it too long, you're gonna lose people. She did it with me yesterday when I was doing the script for Jake's wedding. Here, babe, read it. You don't need that sentence. Cut that out. She's like my own personal editor. But in essence, what she's saying to me is true, and you guys, can, I can be guilty of this. Like. We can try to explain existence. We can try to say all these lofty things and all these philosophical things and wise things and educational things. Ernie and I, we had a discussion about this this morning. You can know all the things in the world, but knowledge only goes so far, right? At the end of the day, the author here is keeping it pretty simple for all of us. A lot of words don't mean much. In actuality, the more things you try to say, the more things you try to explain, they actually just, in essence, lose their value. And I say amen to that. Verse 12, in closing here. For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Guys, in the grand scheme of it all, we read about it even in the New Testament, that life is but a vapor. I mean, we can sit here as adults, and I said one of the perplexities of life is as we get older, the hours seem longer, but the days are shorter. Think about that. Jobs just seem like more and more of a stress, but man, it just seems like yesterday it was 1995. 1985 for some of you. I was four. 
And then as, as we grow older, guess what? You guys can all attest to it, right? Life seems to travel and coincide when it comes to miles per hour with the ages that we carry. When I was 12, Jason, it was 12 miles an hour. When I was 20, it's going a little bit quicker. I turned 35, I'm gonna good cruise. 41 now, I'm pushing it. Ernie, would you say, I'm not picking on you, but life seems to be moving pretty quick these days for you? I can't hear you. Would you say that life is moving moving pretty quick for you these days? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I just, this is where I challenge people in this, especially when you have family, when you have these things, and we look at our kids and we kind of live vicariously through them in regards to just how they stop and enjoy today. And I would attest and say that the reason why our lives seem to move a little bit quicker as we get older is sometimes we struggle staying in today. We focus so much on what took place yesterday or what's going to take place tomorrow that we completely forget that, oh, wait, I'm still in today and I have to focus on what's in front of my eyes. He's sitting here saying this, right? We have few and meaningless days that pass through like a shadow. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? I talked to an individual this week. He opened up to me and he spoke about plans. All of us have plans. He said, I feel like every time we establish these plans, they don't ever take place and that can be frustrating. And I said, you're in the car right now, right? Or a truck? He said, yeah. I go, you understand and know that you're not even guaranteed to make it to where you're going right now. And he's like, yeah. And I go, you understand and know that you're not even guaranteed you're going to wake up tomorrow. Yeah. I go, guess what? You need to just stop and be where you're at today because there's a lot of people, there's a big world out there where there's people that don't even know where they're going to be after they die. But for you as a Christian, you understand and know how this story ends. So keep your focus in today and allow the Lord, the sovereign God, to control and to keep things in his own hands because it's truly what's best. Amen? Okay. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just give you thanks once again for this day. Lord, I give you thanks for your word. And I just pray that your word, it just plants and roots itself in people's hearts and minds, Lord. That they just stop and they put their own life in perspective. Lord, not that they fall back into yesterday or get anxious about tomorrow, but Lord, just stop and even just seek you out for the, the gift and the ability to just enjoy what it is that they have today, the things that they have in front of their face today, to not allow their appetite to, of desires of getting other things and new things to take them in places that are outside of your will. And Lord, that is our focus. Our focus is to just seek you out today, to be in your presence today. And it's in being in your presence today that we develop a discernment and wisdom to live out this day to give you glory, and to live in in purpose in accordance to your will. Lord, I just pray that over these individuals here today, that when tomorrow, when they wake up, before their feet hits the ground, that they come to you. Satisfy me, Lord, with your love. Be my portion today, Lord, and allow me to keep my focus on you. I'm here for you, Lord, and use me in the way that you need to use me. 
It is in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, guys.